Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 175. On today's show, we talk about ancient inequality, the last slave ship, and giant Sardinian statues. Let's dig a little deeper, but don't break the statues. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the show, everyone. Rachel, where you at? I'm back with you, which is very exciting. (laughs) Is it, though? It is, because we're recording together in person, which means we can look at each other when we're disagreeing with each other on the podcast. The disapproving glares don't really come through the video too well. No, they don't. Sometimes they lag behind, so you can ignore them. Now you're getting them in person. That's right. Yeah, and and so we're in Washington in a little town called Ocean Something, Shores, maybe City, Beach. Pretty much everything <laughs> on this side of the ocean, on this side of the coast in Washington has ocean or beach or something in the Or title. Pacific. Yeah. And it's like really hard to remember <laughs> which yeah. one we're in. But I'm pretty sure it's Ocean Shores. We're staying at a little campground, which is honestly not our favorite of the campgrounds we've stayed at. But that might be because it's just raining the whole time and rain, rain, rain. We are just underwater here. So, well, and, yeah. Yeah. Like misrepresentation. The place is totally just like full water right now. The path out to the beach is impassable. Yeah. Unless you have like a raft or something, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Like, cause we're right on the beach. We're, we're right yeah. on the other side of like the foresty dunes that, yeah. that the Pacific Northwest has. And presumably we thought we were going to be able to walk through the woods to get to this path out to the ocean and, and it's totally blocked. So. It seems like some people who stay out here have access to the beach and some people do not. I would give it a Gini coefficient that was like really high. You don't know what a Gini coefficient is? Well, I think we're going to tell you. Stay tuned. (laughs) So the first article we're going to talk about today is called Why Some Ancient Societies Were More Unequal Than Others. And this article really grabbed my attention. It was published in the BBC in their future section, I guess, where I think they just like kind of, I don't know. I don't really know what the purpose of it is because this is looking at the past, but maybe it's to help inform the future. Mm-hmm. And it's a news article, but it's based on a journal article that came out in Nature like last year or the year before called Greater Post-Neolithic Wealth Disparities in Eurasia Than in North America and Mesoamerica. Right. Right. So I was reading it and actually the BBC article did a really good job of kind of breaking down what they talk about in the nature article, but then also building on that and expanding on it and reaching out to other sources and just sort of like creating this whole narrative around what the nature article was was postulating, essentially. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I mean, we can tell just as archaeologists and if you read any article by looking at graves in the past, when like... A small percentage of the graves is filled with gold and fancy things, <laughs> and most of the graves are either unmarked or not filled with anything. Yeah. You can tell there was not a lot of equality going on. Right. Yeah. But but quantifying that equality or 
inequality rather is is really hard and while we can see it we don't really know how bad it was and grave goods can only tell part of the story because sometimes the things that are buried with a person are they sort of inflate the status of the person because mm-hmm. they're probably for whatever gods they worshipped or whatever reason they were doing this burial they needed to make the person seem bigger and better than they were so right. now I don't know. It's just it's kind of complicated because maybe that inflation happened equally across all the graves. Maybe it didn't. Who knows? But it just makes it kind of tricky to look at grave goods and be like, okay, there's great inequality at this society when you don't really know for sure. It's interesting how we don't really do that anymore, but we still do the other way that you can tell somebody was more important, which is the size and style of the grave. Like, oh, yeah. I would say your average yeah. person probably doesn't get a super great tombstone. They might just get like a flat right. marker or something like that. Mm-hmm. You want to put a little more money into it. It might be something standing up or, you know, yeah. a little more money. It's carved marble. And then, you know, you eventually get up into, you know, the gigantic mausoleum type things. That's so interesting to think yeah. about because our perception or our way we handle death today it's it's a show for other people right like the bigger fancy headstones and mausoleums and all that it's it's to show other people how important this person was whereas with grave goods once they're buried they're buried you never see them again so it really was for whatever gods they were trying to impress when they buried their loved ones and that's the big part too there is these people that were buried with grave goods the only reason they're buried with things is so they can use and take those into the afterlife. Mm-hmm. They truly thought that if we put these things in here, the person will take these things into the afterlife and be able to, you know, show their representation. Yeah. And we obviously don't believe that anymore. I mean, it, it tells you a little about about religion in today's world mm-hmm. because there's a lot of people that do believe in an afterlife. However, they apparently don't believe you can take anything with you. Yeah, it's like kind of separate from what your life on Earth was yeah. versus what goes on in the afterlife realm so that right. is interesting i mean we might let a piece of jewelry or something go down with somebody in their in their grave but unless they're being cremated otherwise we don't like stick a bunch of stuff down in with them no you know, not valuable things anymore. yeah totally i worked yeah. on a cemetery recovery in new jersey oh gosh like 15 years ago now and it was a 18th century 19th century cemetery like Early, but early 19th century. So we're talking like early 1800s, yeah. most of the graves. And we found almost no, like, what you would call grave goods. No jewelry, none of that. I found, I remember one burial had a pair of earrings and we could tell they were earrings, but because of the shape, but also because they were actually like literally on either side of mm-hmm. the skull. And that was really cool. And it was very unique because we just didn't find a whole lot of jewelry because people sure. weren't letting their, their valuable goods get buried with their loved ones at that time. It just wasn't something they did. So yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, tangent. <laughs> I know, right? So getting back to it, in yeah. order to quantify, because I mean, you can say that things were unequal, but in order to quantify that, you need some sort of, you know, really some sort of math or metric yeah. device to do that. And this Nature article back in 2017 used a principle called the Gini coefficient. So what's that? So the Gini coefficient is a measurement of statistical dispersion intended to represent the income inequality or the wealth inequality within a nation or social group. And what that means is that they are measuring something, something that is easily quantifiable and measurable, and then comparing that across the the broad group to get an idea of how 
unequal it is from the, the bottom to the top. Zero would be perfect equality and 100 would be maximum inequality. So you can think about it like the higher the number, the more unequal and presumably the worse the society. But I guess that's kind of open to interpretation, mm-hmm. too, because being completely unequal doesn't necessarily mean that it was a terrible society, but it's one conclusion you could draw. Well, and terrible versus good is not necessarily a measure of you know, anything. Yeah, it's a very know? subjective measurement yeah. that you can't really you can't I mean, really quantify that. The ancient Egyptians might have been really happy that their coefficient was like super high, right? <laughs> right? Like they didn't care, right? You know, if they didn't know any better, then they maybe they were happy with what they had. Who knows? Yeah, so, yeah. As a kind of a, an example of what this really means, the global income Gini coefficient in 2005 was estimated to be between 61 and 68. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Again, we're we're a little bit on the high side of of not equal, which mm-hmm. totally makes sense if you're calculating across the entire planet. Yeah, totally. What I thought was interesting is that number when you break it down. This is examples from the 2019 Global Wealth Data Book. The highest are the U.S. and Russia coming in between 85 and 90. Which so that is, is very high. Yeah. <laughs> Brazil and India were next in the 80 to 85 range. Mexico and most of South America in the 75 to 80. Canada, UK, and China in 70 to 75-ish range. Iceland, Australia, France, and Spain were 65 to 70. Coming in at some of the best, with some of the best scores, were Belarus and Romania at 60 to 65. Yeah. And there were more. There were many more that were lower and some that were higher. I just pulled out a couple examples of like common countries, popular countries to... To talk about. Of course, I don't know how they're calculating this to be exact because I mean this is based on income. So mm-hmm. sure, it's always true in most countries today where you got a democratic capitalist country where you're less than one percent of your population is making most of the money. Yeah. That's true in a lot of different countries, especially the ones on this list. Mm-hmm. But is this calculated on like there's a total number of wealth and how many people are making that wealth or is it the total number of people and how many people are in the category that are making the high wealth versus the mid to low wealth? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of ways to do those measurements and the numbers that I pulled were just like from the global wealth data book and I didn't even really deep dive how they calculated the numbers. So I'm sure there's multiple ways to do it though and I did see different numbers for different countries across a couple different sources Mm -hmm. but I decided you kind of just have to pick one and go with right. it. So, so that's how I got the numbers that I quoted here. The 2017 study did decided not to use like actual cash as wealth because obviously we don't know what people right. use as, as income. Mm-hmm. So what they used instead, which I think is equally fraught with problems, <laughs> is home dimensions. Yeah. And I'm like, I mean, depending on the society, your home may be grossly inflated in size because you may live in a society where family doesn't really leave. You just kind of tack on an extra mud structure. And does that really indicate that you're more wealthy or just that you can build a cheap add on to your house? Yeah, totally. I definitely see like some issues with using house size as your wealth indication. Yeah. But I can't really think of anything else that would do the job either you know from from the remains that we have because you know we don't have a whole lot with archaeological remains it might seem like we do when you see you know all the maps and things that archaeologists create but really there's not a whole lot so you got to use what you've got so what were some of the results yeah so they wanted to get an idea of different societies inequality wealth inequality across ancient times right 
So hunter-gatherers, now, there's almost nothing left of hunter-gatherers. They don't even have homes that they could measure, right? Yeah. For any any hunter-gatherer group across the world. The metric they chose immediately fails. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what they did, and I thought this was kind of interesting, is that they studied modern hunter-gatherer populations. Mm-hmm. And then they, I think they just used basic wealth factors there. Whatever that society considered their money or whatever. They used that to measure the inequality. And... Most of those clocked in very low at around 17. Hmm. As a reminder, 100 is most unequal and zero is most equal. So, so yeah, I mean, I guess for a hunter-gatherer society, that makes sense that they would be coming in pretty low. Mm-hmm. And that modern ones would be very similar to ones in the past, probably. So that's how they, they did that. But it's just a guess for those societies. Yeah, moving a little forward in time, some of the ancient farming societies, such as in Babylonia, Came around 35 to 46. Mm -hmm. So getting a little more unequal, but still on the equal side of things. Yeah, totally. The next one we have is comparing the ancient American civilizations like the Aztec to their old world counterparts like Egypt. And they weren't necessarily happening at the same time, but they're looking at them at the same economic development, basically. Egyptians built those pyramids down in (laughs) South America and Mexico. Uh Totally. If you believe that, then maybe you should go back to the beginning (laughs) of this podcast and (laughs) listen to all the episodes and then come back. Right. Yeah. So the interesting thing was that the ancient American civilizations like Aztec were much lower than the old world. And this, and I thought this was so interesting because I did not know this, but this might have been in part because there were only two domesticated animals in the Americas, dogs and turkeys. Mm -hmm. That's it. No other domesticated animals. They don't have animals to help with the farming. They don't have all of the different things that they would, the shepherding and all the stuff that they would do in these other societies. There's none of that. It was just dogs and turkeys. I think what did it was no cats. If you don't have cats in a society, you're just not civilized. <laughs> right. So other societies did not begin to show the, the great inequality until their advances in agricultural production that made it faster, more efficient, and require fewer people. That's when right. you really see this like jump in inequality. And there's a clear increase with the arrival of metal from like 3,000-ish to 2,000-ish BCE. And that makes sense because metal weapons, they make conquering easier, right? Mm-hmm. More conquering, more wealth that you didn't have to work for that you just took from somebody else. And some people are better at taking than others and bam, more inequality, right? Well, I mean, it just stands to reason that with all these different advances, so to speak, the more likely it is for somebody to be able to live and survive by subjugating other people or commanding that they do stuff when they don't have to do Mm -hmm. anything. They can just kind of take in a a percentage of it, you know, take in the taxes, basically. Mm -hmm. You're going to have a massive inequality and that's going to develop. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so just a couple more examples here. A general increase in population size definitely seems to cause the Gini coefficient to increase as well. And you saw that with Pompeii and also Cahun, which is a large Egyptian city. And both of those had values of around 60. Mm -hmm. I think it's worth pointing out, though, that these ancient societies that we're just listing out this the coefficient for, they're still like on the lower end of the spectrum, most of them. Yeah, compared to today. Compared to today. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. So as we modernize and as our society advances... Inequality between people is definitely growing, and I think it it means we need to take a hard look at what's happening, why it's happening, and see what can be fixed and made better, you know? Yeah, and of course, some of the issues with this study, as we already mentioned, 
There's almost no, no no like one measure you can use at like house size yeah. or even income for that matter right. to measure this inequality coefficient because mm-hmm. I I almost feel like first off you need a lot of data points to mm-hmm. really kind of come around to it but then also what is the culture of the society do people who might come out on the on the bad end of this Gini coefficient feel like they're unequal you know what i mean right totally like if you're yeah. if you're living in a small town in america right now and this town has a has a an efficient running government you you like the mayor or, mm-hmm. or whoever's running it you have regular town hall meetings you might only be making thirty thousand dollars a year you know because you live in this small town but do you feel like you're in an unequal situation because mm-hmm. some billionaire lives in a high-rise in new york yeah you know i mean as the whole country goes, yeah, you're in an unequal situation, very much so. But in your own local social group, do you feel like you live in an unequal situation and is this a bad thing? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point because we're talking about the coefficients for all these different countries and how they compare to mm-hmm. ancient societies and civilizations. But most of those ancient civilizations that they did the study on, it was more like a city or a city state. So it is sort of a, a micro society that might be within a larger one. Right. And when you look at that smaller section, I'm guessing you get less inequality because it is a smaller right. chunk of population. So who knows? So in an effort to kind of address that and, and address things like how do people feel? Well, generally mm-hmm. they're going to feel pretty good about where they're living if they're healthy. Yes. If they're getting enough nutrients, if they're, you know, you don't see a lot of bone breakage that, mm-hmm. if, that is healed in their remains and you don't see, you know, a lot of pathology that, yeah. that can be found out by that. Yeah. So if the overall health of a population is generally good, you can probably assume that, okay, I don't know if they were happy about where they lived, but at least they <laughs> felt good about it. It can kind of correlate what the Gini coefficient is telling you yeah. if the overall health is is good. And and that is basically what the populations that they looked at, it is what they showed. Mm-hmm. Typically, the higher the coefficient, the worse the health of the population. And the example of that is ancient Amarna. And there's a cemetery there that has the remains of children with spine injuries related to carrying heavy loads. And they also have a relatively high coefficient. I don't remember. I didn't write down exactly what it was, but that it shows that like they're using their children to help with heavy, heavy workload. So and also their coefficient is pretty high. So you can kind of make some correlation there that maybe the unequalness of the population is making it not such a great place for the people to live too. Right. And then the final way that they tried to correlate the Gini coefficient with what, what you're seeing in the archaeological record is the size and complexity of the funerary yeah. monuments and tombs, like we mentioned. Like we said in the beginning. Yeah. So again, when you have the higher coefficient, meaning more unequal, you also get much larger and more complex funerary monuments and tombs. Whereas in a more equal society, you don't see such a difference between the different complexes and, and tombs. Yeah. All right. Well, that's about it for that. This was kind of a long segment, so we're going yeah. <laughs> to press on. You know, just to, to mention, uh, go over to arcpodnet.com forward slash members if you want to support us. We're doing a big membership push this summer. And you can hear stuff like the bonus segment we did for the Archaeotech podcast. Go check it out. It should be live as you're listening to this. And 
if you know Steve Levitt from the Freakonomics book <laughs> and podcast and other podcasts that he's on, he set up a group at the University of Chicago called Risk, which is the Center for Radical Innovation and Social Change. And I love that name. Yeah. And we interviewed somebody from Risk about some things that they're doing to teach data science to fourth and sixth graders, which That's was really, cool. really amazing. So you can get that kind of stuff in the bonus segments that we record for this show and that show and every other show over at rpodnet.com forward slash members. It's just seven ninety nine a month. All right. Well, if you thought ancient Egypt had some serious inequity, <laughs> the last known slave ship, if 100 is fully unequal, this was about a 150. So we'll talk about that on the other side of the break. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to episode 175 of The Archaeology Show. And this next article is from Smithsonian Magazine. And it's called Unlocking the Secrets of the Clotilda, the Last Known Slave Ship. Mm. The vessel Clotilda, and it's a hard word to say. I want to say Clotilda, but it's Clotilda. Clotilda, yeah. Clotilda. Was the last known vessel to bring enslaved people from Africa to the United States. And we'll have some stats on this at the end of this shorter segment. Mm -hmm. The ship is now in the Mobile River in Alabama. Oh, okay. So So it it didn't make it then, it sounds like. Oh, it made it. (laughs) Yeah, it made it. Yeah. Archaeological divers right now from the Alabama Historical Commission, they spent 10 days before this article was written in May 19th, 2022, Uh exploring the very well-preserved sunken ship. Oh, that's cool. Because the sediments and stuff in that area, I mean, it is just... It's like, like a silt, sippy mess. Yeah. Right? And yeah. Like, like a ship goes down or anything goes down in there and it basically deoxygenates it and just like preserves it forever. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's so. awesome. It's pretty cool as far as that goes anyway. Mm-hmm. But they were trying to discern the condition of the ship and how best to actually conserve it because the minute they lift it up and expose it to the air or even to fresh water it's in some cases, it'll, yeah, it'll start to just fall apart. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they don't really want that to happen. They want they want to be able to set it up, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. A little more about this ship. 110 people were forcibly transported to Mobile in 1860. And they hope to actually find some DNA from some of these people. They all made it off the ship. Okay. But obviously they left behind, well, to be honest, they left behind feces. They left behind, you know, skin skin and and just like hair. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. Right. From a trip across the Atlantic. Yeah. In very, very, very poor conditions. Yeah. In 1862, I thought that we were done with the whole bringing slaves into the country thing by then. Not so much. This must have been a under the radar of the government sort of a. Yeah. A situation, too. Well, and it kind of was, too, because it was actually not legal. Yeah. Um, after the passengers were transferred to a riverboat, the captain, William Foster, burnt and deliberately sank the ship oh, in July of 1860. To destroy evidence of the crime. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and it was a crime because 
this wasn't a state that, or this wasn't an area anyway, that actually allowed slavery. In fact, nowhere did. Yeah. And and that's why the South tried to revolt. Yeah. You know, causing the whole civil war. Well, but, no, they did allow slavery. They didn't allow new slaves to be oh, brought right. in. You could yeah. only, you know, force slaves. force your slaves that you currently have to breed and make new slaves for you, which right. is just so much better. But right. anyway, yeah, I guess it was 1808 that Congress had banned the importation of new enslaved people. Right. Yeah. And the voyage from Africa, from West Africa, took about 45 days. Okay. Which actually sounds kind of quick to me. I mean, not when you're crammed into a compartment with a bunch right. of other people, but I actually thought it was months and months and months. I didn't know that they could do it in 45 days. Yeah, I didn't realize yeah. that either. So. I mean, I'm sure it's long when you're in the middle of it, but yeah. you know, that's... Yeah essentially a month and a half is not the worst thing ever. <laughs> yeah. The ship's location was actually only confirmed in 2019. Um, oh. There was record of it being sank, but nobody knew where it was. Okay. Yeah. But 2019 is when they found it and it had sat in the same spot uh, up until now for 162 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. The descendants of the people enslaved aboard the ship, because we did have a ship's manifest, so uh-huh. we know who they are, um, want to do whatever it takes to preserve and display the ship is obviously a reminder of the horrors of slavery. So yeah. that's why they're trying to bring it up and conserve it mm-hmm. and probably put it on display somewhere. It mm-hmm. would be amazing to see that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. crazy. So when I read this, that's pretty much it for the article, but I, I was interested in some, I guess, some slavery statistics. So I wanted to see if I could find some stuff that mm-hmm. I didn't really know about. Between 1525 and 1866, 12.5 million Africans were shipped to the new world. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. And about 10.7 million survived the voyage. Oh my God. That's. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, almost 2 million people died in route. Just in route. I mean, you yeah. hear about that kind of stuff. You watch the movies. What was that movie that came out? Like Amistad. Yeah, yeah, yeah where they are documenting these right. terrible voyages. But that's just crazy and to see the, those numbers. Here's the thing. Only about 388,000 were shipped directly to North America. And that was more than likely in the early days before no we basically way. outlawed it. Yeah, the rest were sent to the Caribbean and South America and then either brought up this way or, like you said, we bred our own slaves. Wow. Yeah. But that is so interesting that only 388,000 of that mm-hmm. that 10.7 million who survived. Yeah. Now, I know that slavery was huge in the Caribbean, so... That makes sense. And I didn't realize as much in South America, but right. I mean, I guess the Spanish were doing this same thing that the Northern Europeans were doing. Oh, here. doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was just, wow, that's crazy. So there is a link in the show notes under the segment two section called 100 Amazing Facts About the Negro. That's what they call it. It's a PBS site. Wow. I know. And if you if you actually go to this website, um, if you click on the link, it's going to take you to the page where I actually got some of those slave stats at the end there. Mm-hmm. But actually, ev- there's each page of the 100 facts is its own page. So you can actually skip ahead or skip behind by clicking the links in this article at the bottom of this article. Mm-hmm. This one is just for this one thing. And it's actually pretty short. And I guess they put this whole thing together. It was for something special. Um, yeah. They put to, they brought together a bunch of African American scholars or people who study the slave trade. Uh-huh. Not not like African American scholars, people who are studying African Americans. Right. And 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 had them put together these 100 facts. And some of them are are just like extensive research articles. Hmm. And some of them are just shorter facts. Yeah. And it's interesting to just. I kind of went down a rabbit hole just kind of looking through some of those, yeah. and it's just a lot of just horrible stuff. Yeah. So. 
we definitely need stuff like the slave ship and especially in a state like Alabama. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. You know, it's still not the most, you know, talk about inequality. Yeah. It's still not the most equal place on the on the planet. Right. And uh, it'd be good to have a display of this and, you know, so people can see exactly what it was like because you just don't realize you think, oh, well, you know. It could have been that bad. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, it's more than that. It's like, look at what the ancestors of the plantation owners and the white people did mm-hmm. to the ancestors of the black people. And right. if you look at that and then you can't look at today's society and think, oh, well, there's some of the reason why we have the inequality that we have and the the issues that are in our society. If you can't look at what happened in the past and correlate how that is still playing out in today's society, then... I just don't even know how to argue with you anymore, you know, because that that inequality right there and that treatment by one race of another race should show you that that is a contributing factor to where we are at today. Mm -hmm. And maybe it can show you like how to start working towards fixing it, maybe. Yeah. At least by like looking at it and acknowledging it and bringing up a sunken slave boat if they can figure out how to do it and put it on display, because I think it should be on display for everybody Mm -hmm. to see and understand. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, well before any of this took place, <laughs> crazy Sardinians were making seven foot tall, giant blocky statues with no faces <laughs> or face expressionless faces, I should say. There you go. They had faces. Yes. Just no expressions. Right. But is the lack of an expression an expression? Well, they were just very stoic, maybe. That's an expression. Uh, yeah, it is. All right, you know what else, else is an expression? Hmm. Becoming a member of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Wow. Really it's hammering not. that one home today. I'm just saying, <laughs> arcpodnet.com forward slash members. Thanks to all the new members we've received in the last couple of weeks as yeah. we we're recording this. We've had a, a, a fair number of them, actually, and it's really helping out. Definitely. So thanks for that. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to the third and final segment of episode 175 of the Archaeology Show. And next, as I said, we're going to Sardinia. Yeah. So this article is called Archaeologists Unearthed 3,000-Year-Old Giant Statues in Sardinian Necropolis. I feel like everything is 3,000 years old. It really like if is. It's, if it's not like 200 years old, it's 3,000 years like, old. There's just a lot going on in the world at that time, so therefore yeah. we have a lot of archaeological remains, I think. It's a time of <laughs> massive change and upheaval. Yeah. So this is another Smithsonian Magazine article. I don't know if you can tell, but we really like the Smithsonian articles. They do good stuff. They do. They're researched well, and they often link back to the original source, so that we just we like them a lot. Yeah. And in this case, there were seven-foot-tall giant statues discovered in the Sardinian necropolis of Monte Prama. They have blocky faces and noses with these big deep set eyes and it kind of makes them look like expressionless and because they're so big and tall and they almost look like they're looking down because they have no eyes you can't really see it just gives them this like looming like protective aura basically the lead picture on the actual smithsonian magazine article makes me think of the statue for the uh, academy awards Oh my god, it totally it's Oscar. does. Yeah. 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 It's, it's Oscar. Oscar. <laughs> Should yeah. we call them Oscars from now on? I think so. <laughs> so like we said, these are approximately three thousand years old. They date to eight fifty to seven fifty BCE. So right in that time period that we always seem to be talking about. <laughs> now the two new ones that they just found are torsos only. However, they found a bunch of these over the years. Yeah. The other ones were found in twenty fourteen and the reason that they know that they're they're the same is because they have these distinctive shield things around the torso, mm-hmm. and they're just like the ones that they found in 2014. So they're like, okay, these are 
made by the same people or related in some way to the ones that we found earlier, even though they don't have the faces or the limbs or anything like that. And I'm really glad that the archaeologists looking at this stuff know what they're looking for because I'm looking at one of the pictures further down and I'm like, you can't tell anything, right? Those are legit just boulders. (laughs) (laughs) But if you keep looking in the article, there are pictures of the ones from 2014. Right. Where you can see the whole like facial expression and the the whole shape of the body and everything. And Mm -hmm. you can see why they they split them up into different groups. The group of the ones that they just found, they call them boxers, I guess, because whatever those shield things are around them, some sort of boxing type of equipment. (laughs) Right, right. So, and, And this, again, tells you why archaeologists need to study the things around them and study the previous research and literature because, you know, I mean, there's been a number of times when we've had to go out in different areas and, you know, you have to look at the 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 research design and the the cultural context for where you're going to know exactly what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. If you don't know that something is actually cultural, then you might just walk right past it. Right. You know, if you don't know what you're looking for. A good example is a, a project we did down in Southern California in the desert, we actually had to resurvey 15,000 acres that was surveyed by a couple other companies. Oh, yeah. When they and the the lead agency had no idea that a certain thing out there was cultural. Yeah. And then somebody else randomly went out there and just found this thing and did some testing. It was like, holy crap, these things are cultural. Yeah. So then we had to resurvey the whole area. It turns out there were thousands of them. Yeah. Yeah. Were they like rock rings or something like that? They right? were. It was in the desert. Yeah. And they were these rock rings for roasting pine nuts and pine- things like okay. that. Okay. Yeah. 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 But there's no pine nuts left. I mean, it's a little desert. Right. There's so, a, yeah. So yeah. like, why would you even think about looking for something like that? Right. Cause, but you don't know what the environment was when, you know, native people well, live there. And the thing is, there's like almost no vegetation either. So when the water comes through, it actually moves the rocks around and over a thousand oh, plus years yeah. of doing that. The rocks aren't even necessarily in rings anymore. Like quite a circle. They're just like <laughs> kind of groups of rocks or if yeah. you see just like a collection of rocks and nothing else around it, it's probably cultural. Right. Because right. there's nothing else around it. Yeah. So. Yeah, context is definitely really important, and this is no different really here. So so the preservation of the two torsos that they just found is definitely a problem. They are mostly buried, but they're fragmented, and they still need to be excavated from the soil around them. But they're made from the, like, native limestone in the area, which is easily carved, which is probably Mm -hmm. why they chose it for making these statues. But it's very fragile, and so it's really hard to move it around, and it's going to make restoration really difficult. Mm -hmm. We'll see how that goes. I mean, you know, when it comes to preservation and excavation, like, if you can leave something alone and protect it, it's almost better. I'm not really sure why they are doing this excavation. Maybe they have to for whatever reason. Yeah. But it sounds like it could be detrimental to the artifacts. So the first giant statue was discovered in 1974 by some farmers, which is interesting. 1974 is not that long ago. Usually stuff like this is discovered much earlier in the century, but you know, not till 1974. And they were incorrectly attributed to the Carthaginians at first because those guys were known to have conquered the area, this island area around 500 BCE. And they just sort of made the assumption. They just leaped to the conclusion that that's who made them. Mm -hmm. But dating actually shows that they date to this earlier group of people called the Nuragic people. And that is kind of cool because the Nuragic civilization, it dominated the island from the like 18th to the 8th centuries BCE. And I had never heard of them before. Like that was a new no. a new name to me and maybe we'll do a deep dive on on them at some point because I I mean that's a long time to dominate a whole island and 
we just d- don't really know a whole lot about them and they're definitely not part of like popular archaeology not really yeah and before somebody says hey how did they date these torsos they're freaking torsos of stone <laughs> yeah uh, even though limestone they probably didn't i was they obviously didn't right they right. must have found other stuff that's not being discussed in this article yeah. that they could date but that they could put in association with those yeah statues and torsos and things yeah definitely the neurogic people Apparently, they built a lot of distinctive megalithic structures, and they're known as Nuragi. Nuragai? Nuragai? Yeah. Sure. I don't know. There's about 6,000 of them across the island, which Jeez. is kind of a lot for a fairly small island. And there, there's a picture of them in the, in the article, but they're basically these large cylindrical stone structures with like a very flat top. Mm-hmm. They're really unique looking. And I don't think we know exactly what they were used for, but there's a lot of them. And this society of people definitely show that they like to build large structures. Mm. The giant statues themselves, though, they're found in this one particular area. And they they call it a major burial road. Mm. And it has nearly 200 graves. Most of them are young men. And most of them were buried from like 950 BCE to 730 BCE. And those statues are found throughout the cemetery? Yeah, throughout the area. And there's a couple different types. There's the boxer type, which is the one we mentioned. And that's what the two new torsos are. But there's also so archers and warriors. So most mostly boxers, 16 of those, five archers and five warriors. And all of them, interestingly, have been found in fragments, including the new torsos. And you again, you can see this in the picture. The ones they've put back together, they're still clearly in pieces. And the conclusion is that they were obviously broken on purpose. But why? <laughs> I wonder if they were just knocked over and because they're fragile they break easy yeah yeah but every single one of them like like that many of them and not a single whole one it makes you wonder if the carthaginians who came in later if maybe it was some kind of like hey this is our area now wow and like they you know knocked over all the statues or something right they've only found 26 of them and i don't know how many there there may be right but yeah if it was a if it was an out with the old and in with the new situation that happens all the time yeah totally i mean i mean that's really like the least bad thing they could Mm -hmm. have done to the people so yeah all right. So anything else on this one? No, I just think that's really interesting. It, it was fun to to learn a little bit about a society that we hadn't really talked about before or heard of before. So. All right. Well, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but head over to arcpodnet.com <laughs> forward slash members <laughs> and help us out by becoming a member of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Uh huh. If you guys all go become members, we will promise a bonus segment every week we can make that promise right yeah absolutely yeah what's the number like and when you say if you guys all know <laughs> that's like we need to get up to three thousand members oh that's a lot of members yeah, yeah. okay so, well goals yeah. bonus segment every week I'm we promise you, i will i will come to every single town the members are in and do a live show there <laughs> if we got three thousand members so yeah yeah we would basically quit our jobs and become full-time podcasters at that that's point. That's what so. it would take. Goals, actually. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but this, that's the whole point of this membership. It's not just to, you know, bring money into the coffers. We're no. actually doing stuff with this. No, we want to make more content, but yeah. con- making content takes time and we can give more time if we are making yeah. money in another way. So there you we, go. We spend a lot of time editing podcasts and if I can hire somebody to do that and yes. we can spend more time making content totally. and, and the other hosts can as well and we can start compensating people for things, then that really helps out anyway thanks a lot to our existing members and thank you to everybody else that's considering it or that has clicked on the link Mm -hmm. and gone there but otherwise i guess we'll see you next time bye 
Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Rachel Roden. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.